Jante, welcome to Whack or Slaps, where we look back into the annals of 2000s indie to determine if an album, a band, or even an entire musical movement was actually good or just a product of the hype machine. And like all great podcasts, this is the direct spinoff of an unhinged group text amongst friends that simply refuses to die. And now let's hear from disgraced former officers in the Tokyo Police Club. Oh, deep, deep cut. Hey, I'm Noah, and uh, I'm 15 years old, and I already feel like it's too late to laugh. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, I can't top that, so I'll just go with uh, I'm your friendly producer, Adrian. A.K.A. Le Producer. Yeah, there you AKA go. A.K.A. The, the Bon Vivant. And I am your host, Caleb, the woke Pepe Le Pew. Ooh, <laughs> boy. You smell me. <laughs> <laughs> People oh, still no. asking if you can smell them. <laughs> when was that ever in vogue? <laughs> For like you a minute me? in like nineteen. Like you feel me? <laughs> it was. I didn't um, realize. I mean, E40. I'm like, if you smell what the rock was cooking. Well, there's that, and but the E40, he would like oh, yeah. the term. You smell me? No, I, I was true. way ahead of him. Way ahead of the curve on a lot of different things. <laughs> Shout out E40, local Vallejo hero. Local uh, Vintner E40. Uh, Vintner, that's true. <laughs> Moscato, baby. Uh, that's cool. Welcome. This is episode 23. That is impressive for a bunch of uh, ne'er-do-wells from Santa Maria, California. 23 and me. We got 23 to, uh, and us, baby. We got I've heard that DNA uh, of... Uh, yeah, the DNA York. of this podcast is 50%. Skunkweed, cheap beer, nostalgia, actual shared, actual hot, shared DNA, actual shared <laughs> DNA, and uh, hot takes. What were you saying, Adrian? Well, I was just gonna say, no one likes you when you're 23. Oh, what's my That's age true. again? What's my age again? This album's all about it's ageist. I mean, come on. <laughs> Saturdays, Saturdays <laughs> equal youth. No, no. One, Saturdays are for the boys. Everyone knows that. Now Saturdays <laughs> for the youth. <laughs> Come on. Saturdays is also for the wives, right? At the Copa? Yeah. At the Copa. Oh. No, Saturdays, no, Saturdays is for the, the girlfriends. girlfriends. Yeah, Sundays, Sundays are the for the wives. No, I thought Fridays no, were wait, for the wait, girlfriends. Yeah, Saturdays were for the wives. There you go. That's it. What do they do on Sunday? They go to church because they're all Oh, Catholics. that's for the, the gravy and all that. Yeah, they do the <laughs> yeah, Sundays, the family they do the Sunday dinner. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, and oh. they go to the church. Got to the bottom of that one. It's a good time. But um, no, Kayla, you kind of gave a little... Sp- oh. Ask me what we do on this podcast. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's very circular, but all right. I'll play ball. Noah, what are we doing on this podcast? <laughs> uh, today, we are reviewing the album Saturday's Equal Youth from the year 2008. And it's by M83. M83? I don't know. Adrian, what did Pitchfork say about this album? Pitchfork gave this an 8.5. It was a best new music. Uh, So they were pretty pretty, pretty high on it. I think they're pretty high on M83 in general. 
uh, although I think the album before this did not get quite as high marks, but I digress. Uh, the review is by Brian Howe, who is still reviewing for them and has been reviewing pretty consistently since 2007. Wow. I was just saying his name. <laughs> I've seen the greatest minds of my generation destroyed. Well, I think that's how by, by hot takes. <laughs> oh boy. Is this our who's on first? Is this our hipster who's on first? Um, oh no, pulled... that's a game that Noah will probably put together at some point. <laughs> I I pulled a very short excerpt today. It's actually just the the blurb from the beginning of the review. I just felt we've been doing a lot of long ones recently, and this one summed things up pretty nicely. So <clears throat> here we go. After a pair of impossibly huge overpowering records, MED3's Anthony Gonzalez changes up his sound, ditching maximalism for beauty and drama. His new album is dense with 1980s new wave tropes and teenage memories, reflecting the soft focus mythology of eternal summers and young love. Which I think is pretty, nice. you know. I, it's a pretty good summation. Soft focus mythology of eternal summers mm. and young love. Like that, that pretty much nails the, the at least the narrative thrust of the record. Yeah. yeah no, I, I definitely agree. The one mistake, the one quibble I have is the, the guy's name is Tony Gonzalez. <laughs> Just something about that, that band <laughs> being, honest, hel- yeah. being helmed by a guy named Tony Gonzalez is a French guy <laughs> named Tony Gonzalez. is just, I don't know. It tickles me somehow. The Gons, like the great the skateboarder. Yeah. The video days, baby. <laughs> classic yeah exactly yeah I, i'd say we call him gonzo from here on out <laughs> gonzo all right i'm gonna yeah. go with tony tony gonzalez yeah i think that review uh yeah it's it's um it's short it's terse but i i, I mean it boiler definitely plate. sums it up it's boilerplate but it's interesting because this album is long and long as shit, <laughs> long as shit and there's a kind of epic sweep to it so um but i think it can be distilled down into that yeah that kind of elevators that how uh you know throughout there yeah because at the end of the day it's just like all these different ideas and all these images and things like that and atmospheres it all just because comes down to like you know the youthful you know the melancholy and romance of youth yeah well but, let, and which is also very complicated you wanted to do let what was their deal because they're rolled into that whole the beginning i think of like the whole 80s nostalgia trip i, that I lasted do, up interesting. until stranger things like 2014 yes, yes. Right? i see i i, I what like i have in my notes about what was their deal 80s. is they were kind of a dual quadrant band right um, they kind of had, you know, I'm being reductionist about genres and things and kind of what was hip at the time. So, you know, forgive me, but I think what they, what kind of made them have a broader appeal is they were definitely, you know, they had been compared to like shoegaze and things when their two previous albums, which is like very densely layered. It's less, I mean, it has tons of guitars on it, but I guess it's more synth electronic driven rather than just like the kind of pounding guitars or see if guitars that uh you know the shoegaze of the 80s and 90s was known for but it definitely had that kind of yeah i don't know vibe and influence yeah Yeah. and but along but like and but i think they transitioned into genres that speaking of 23 me had the same dna as shoegaze like you know dream pop ethereal wave those kinds of things and there was a 
you know, a bunch of bands or not a bunch, but there was a lot of bands who were getting really hyped that were kind of that post shoegaze revival sound, you know, kind of more in the lusher dream pop kind of yeah. thing, which I think is an awesome extension of kind of us coming out of post-punk, you know, like of like bands or like something. what's up? Like Interpol or something. Right. Be like Interpol being like a really popular post-punk sounding band. So then like the next wave of bands is like, oh, what's what came what came after post-punk in the eighties, you know, and it was like shoegaze and dream pop and whatever. So there's like, you know, bands I might be getting my timelines incorrect, but it's like, you know, the like bands like uh what's what's the name? Asobi Sesku, is that how you say that? With that album Citrus, whatever that's called. Yeah, I think it's Asobi Sexu. Yeah, and then like um, the pains of being pure at heart, school seven bells, yeah, sunny day in Glasgow, all the long title band names, they all kind of were, yeah, yeah, doing that darker pop, dreamy pop kind of thing. Um, and I think dreamy pop (laughs) and M83 that's on this album at least was kind of going for, um, uh, yeah, kind of a wider scope and a wider sound that was more encompassing those kinds of bands. So I think that's what kind of drove them popular. But then they're like really expert use of electronics also put them in line with like kind of the electro Euro pop thing that was like kind of part chill of the wave, indie. dude. You're not saying the words chill wave. Well, I would say it's bands that <laughs> that's later. That's a lot late. of words. I want to say that's later. I want to say that's later. And definitely chill wave later. wasn't necessarily European. You know, chill wave, I think, was like came came from all over you the guys world. You guys are saying definitely later, like it was 20 years down the road. Two years later. Yeah. But <laughs> as we as we often discuss about this landscape of this time, and as journalists like, yeah, scenes and I don't even want to call them scenes or whatever like like little pop-ups of eight (laughs) bands that sounded micro scenes micro genre they would only last like yeah eight to eight months to three years at the most you know what i mean so it's like because they always got peak peak saturated like yeah yeah exactly so but like yeah the pre-chill wave stuff like you know you had bands like cut copy and like you know caribou and you know uh who were like kind of like electronic indie um, that wasn't it didn't yeah. kind of go to the soundscapey thing, but just kind of created, you know, electronic arrangements that were kind of quirky and really experimental. And I think M83 had that going for themselves, too. So they're able to kind of appeal to fans of both of those little micro movements that were happening within, you know, the broader, yeah. you know, but he is Caleb. hype landscape. Yeah, you're talking about like purely kind of indie niche bands on this album he's going for like an 80s pop song like big like almost like what the john hughes soundtrack shit like mm-hmm. order or simple minds stuff like that you know like you, that yazoo song uh only you shit like that like he's you're touching like on a swelling something. 80s sound which yeah and I think totally. in the mid 2000s, this whole 80s nostalgia shit took over for like 10 years where everything, every movie was like a Spielbergian meets John Carpenter soundtrack. And, and it was like John Hughes was suddenly like Orson Welles to everybody. Like it was like this, this, this kind of, and I think the chill wave and the shoegaze all goes towards well, that. It's what but it is, it's Noah. Big 80s pop. It's the every other decade thing where 
you every other decade you emulate the decade from two decades ago or whatever that is so it's like yeah, remember the 90s cycle. and 70s were super big yeah and then so in the 90s and 70s were big this but now the, the 90s aughts, are the big 80s now. were big exactly it's it's all fucked up now and like yeah it's well, harder to harder to trace but adrian yeah. what do you say i think Put you're touching on something yeah so i think you guys are touching on something that i actually wanted to bring up which is yes this moment in time and post basically this album i would say like well let me start off by saying like 80s textures are there's a wide variety of sounds there but it all kind of has this uh, this kind of sheen of electronic sounds and kind of this you know quote unquote modern kind of feel to whatever was going on at the time, whether it's, you know, synthetic, you know, synthetic instruments using, you know, keyboards, whatever it is. And I think synthetic drugs, designer drugs. <laughs> sure. Remember, remember yeah. Um, synthetic back. drums. But like, I think in the early aughts, it was a lot hipper to pull from like hip hop from the eighties or from like electro from the eighties stuff that was more like grimy, a little bit more, you know, yeah underground let's say yeah Yeah. exactly and those were the textures that were being pulled in the early 2000s so it was like yeah 808s and hand claps uh you know those squelchy squishy bass lines from like the the i think that's the 909 or something i can't remember but it's like that that was what was hip and chic in the early 2000s dance punk even yeah exactly by the mid 2000s and by 2008 these kinds of more classically 80s or you know whatever you want to say the, the the stuff that you that generally is associated with the 80s sound which is these keyboard textures these kind of dreamy soaring keyboards and and whatever i think that that stuff it was it started to lose its sheen of cheese and people started embracing it as something that was actually chic and cool yeah, and I think this yeah. record was one of the, maybe not, definitely not the first, but one of the bigger ones where it was like, okay, he's actually, he's pulling from it, but it's not just pastiche. He's actually just, he's using the same textures, the same instrumentation, whatever, but he's he's writing his own songs and, and incorporating his own sound into it and combining the two into this kind of hybrid thing, right? And so- yeah. Uh, I think that, yeah. and then I think that that's what you're talking about. No, is like post this, then like the the the, the nostalgia bus dumped all the money off. Yeah, like this is it, folks. Eat your heart out. So then, by like 2011, 2012, 2015, like you're saying, like with, uh, you know, like Stranger Things stuff like that. Like by then, it's fully commodified to the point where, like, yeah, now pop music sounds like 80s music and whatever, you know. So I think that by so yeah so later on after this record i think bands like um twin shadow other like you said uh, uh, what was it uh god damn it the uh that electronic band that was like uh well them but there's certainly a number of other bands um purity what are you thinking of like like churches churches cults like any number of these yeah. bands that were taking these textures and combining them with pop uh, writing pop songs and using these textures in the way that you know in sort of this kind of you know hipper way i don't know indifying indifying it and making it kind of you know much more it was a lot more cooler to to start you know getting the cheese ball stuff than than it was in prior years and i think yeah. that it all kind of started around this time i think that that was sort of chromatics, the evolution. That was another yeah, one. Exactly. Chromatics. And I think it got to the point then by like the early 
you know 2010s where like the ultra cheese ball stuff so like you know bonnie Iver is fucking referencing um bruce hornsby you know or like yeah. uh, destroyer is taking just those cheese ball saxophones and, and really just amplifying that and making it super clear like we're taking these things and we're you know we're making them our own and we're bringing it back and saying like oh no that stuff it may have seemed like cheese ball to you as a teenager and when you're all into punk rock or whatever but that shit was actually good and you know there was stuff there that that that's amazing that you know shouldn't be shouldn't just be looked at as 80s trash or whatever yeah no yeah what i wanted to say too uh before we move on is what i find is interesting though is that it's like this album has like a very loud really polished new wave sound right but let us not forget that new wave was it, it it parallels kind of how new wave took off because new wave was like the roots of that were like post-punk and synth pop and kraut rock and all these more underground versions of music and it all kind of got commodified and yeah it got it got a little cleaner and yeah more popular but kind of what where the like what they're like m83 is pulling from with like shoegaze and dark wave and all these other kind of european um underground musics too and then just like expanding their sound of something's a little bit more friendly and you know um has more of a sheen to it i just nostalgic. think that's kind of yeah it's kind of an interesting it's not nostalgic sound wise but it's also kind of nostalgic kind of like the dna of you know the this whole 80s, thing is the 80s and the 2000s it's all an experiment in nostalgia this whole album it's like every song is like trying to get that texture of the 1980s of you know down to the album cover it looks like a john hughes movie still you know it, it's like a riff on the breakfast club movie poster and so i think in 2000 what years 2008 like that was still novelty by 2000, like 12, 13. It's like enough already with this nostalgia eighties stuff. Like, yeah. And by then you have them like people either just being super outsider noisier, or they're going back to the garage yeah. and picking up guitars again and shit. But, All right. Well, yeah, it's very de definitely interesting though. It's definitely like interesting. The nexus point that this album, you know, represents within, you know, the pitchfork era. Yeah. yeah. Saturday's equal youth. What can we say? <laughs> All right. Since since we're, you know, talking about nostalgia, let's get nostalgic with each other here. Oh, wait, we didn't do history, or was that a good enough history? Adrian, do you got a history? Yeah, let's get nostalgia. I got, I got, what's the history? I got an extensive oh, history. <laughs> I thought you were going to say personal histories. No, that comes later. Is nostalgia just a personal history? <laughs> it's, it's how it's refracted back through us, through our emotions. That's what nostalgia is. Oh, are you reading that poem from Graveyard Girl? <laughs> no, I don't read. <laughs> okay, what's what's the history? Kick some knowledge. Yeah. So here is just a little bit. Um, I didn't actually find too much about like specifics of the recordings, but I did find a bunch of nice quotes from um, Gonzo, and uh, and just a few little details here and there that are that paint a, a pretty good picture of the record. Um, but it was recorded in 2007 and produced by Ken Thomas, who was actually an actual producer for like Cocktail Twins, Sugar Rose, Wire, The Sugar Cubes. So he had a lot of experience with like sound like this, expansive sound and <clears throat> those 80s textures for sure. 
it was a co-production with um with Anthony Gonzalez and the keyboardist a keyboardist he brought on board Ewan Pearson uh those they they all collaborated on the production um and then in addition to Pearson he brought along Loic Marin and Morgan Kibbe who's uh Loic Martin is the drummer and Morgan Kibbe is the uh, vocalist pianist and keyboardist who would end up working with uh, M83 for quite a while she left I think maybe one or two records back um, a few years ago, but she was a big part of a big part of the sound of this record. And then especially the, the very next record, which is also similarly um, a nostalgic backwards looking record. But Adrian, uh, do you know her vocal history? A little tidbit. I forget exactly where she, do you know anything? She, she was like a voice actor. Oh, right. She was, she, she did the trailer voice for M. Night Shyamalan's Lady in the Water. That's right. Weird. I forgot about that. Yeah, she she was um she was did she did vocals uh vocalizations for yeah, like uh narrations and stuff for, for movies and her own solo project is called White Sea, which uh they put out a couple of things, I think, during this time as well. But Anyway, she she became a, a, a pretty key part of M83 after this, and they co-wrote a bunch of songs on here along with uh, Anthony Gonzalez's brother, Jan, uh, Jan Gonzalez. Is that pronounced Juan? Uh, maybe. I don't know. It's spelled Y-A-N-N, so I'm probably just butchering whatever it is in French, but... But yeah, I so heard they Laurel. Did you say Laurel? Or <laughs> oh Jesus. <laughs> wow. That's a uh, oof, deep ancient cut. and in nostalgia bitch <laughs> if that's remember nostalgia it. dude then we remember gotta... <laughs> it uh but actually one other little detail about morgan kibbe her and anthony gonzalez actually met on myspace which is just so appropriate for this specific moment in time before facebook or zoomer kind of listeners are like what's myspace huh? <laughs> we're talking about grandpa yeah that one kid in albania is like what the fuck is myspace um <laughs> It was the record was released by Mute Records on April 11th, 2008. Uh, I'm not sure if we've ever first done Mute. Yeah, I think this oh, is our first yeah. Mute. Um, it was also, I think it was also released on Virgin Records and other territories as well. Um, which is nostalgia. Right, right. It is the band's fifth studio album. Both the label and being a virgin. <laughs> it's the follow up to Digital Shades Volume 1 which is kind of a more ambient based record and, and it's oh, all digital shade. Love it. <laughs> it's all it's the solo Anthony Gonzalez um, is basically just like a home recording project for him that he put together over a period of time. Cause by this point, M83, which had started off as a duo with this guy, Nicholas from, from a Jew from go, I don't know how to say it, but whatever. The original duo started, uh, were on the first two records, and then uh, Nicholas left. And uh, so Anthony went on solo. And then this was kind of his, the first time he's bringing in kind of some new players to the fold in terms of like songwriting and, and having kind of a, a official band. But basically, as we've been talking a lot of, of around this record, uh, it was heavily, heavily influenced by 80s music and movies. Um, I have a quote here from Gonzo where he says, I think that 80s music is such bril a brilliant period for music history. 
it was the occasion for me to do a tribute to this 80s music, but it was also a tribute to my teenage years because the main theme of the album is being a teenager and being a teenager means a lot to me. So he was really, you know, focused on that idea of like teenage nostalgia and how that plays into like his own experience with, because I think he was born in 1980. So he definitely felt the eighties, but it's not like he came of age in the eighties. You know, that was more like early nineties. And I think that's the case for a lot of this kind of nostalgic stuff where it's like, it may be not necessarily even be your own nostalgia, but something that's like slightly before you, like the slight generation before you, you know, like, because I definitely feel that for, for us, at least in our generation is like, we definitely look back at that 80s stuff, but it was not necessarily what we came of age to. We came of age, you know, the late nineties or whatever. So it was a little different. Yeah. Um, and, I remember, uh, like, because when me and you, Adrian, were in high school, we were way into Nirvana and the Pixies right. and like Mud Honey and stuff. Yeah. And that wasn't exactly like you're saying from a generation ago. It it had a long tail, so it was like maybe it was the vapors of the the dying of that movement. You know, it mm-hmm. wasn't quite nostalgia. So it's it's this weird in between space between like it's still being culturally relevant and in being straight up, you know, recalled nostalgia. So yeah. And then, and then you relate to that in your own ways. I don't know. It's kind of this weird fractured kind of a relationship you have with it. Yeah, totally. Because of our fucked up childhoods, man. (laughs) That too. Well, I think it just adds to the whole fuzziness of it and, you know, and kind of like, yeah, this it's definitely a rose tinted glasses kind of look back at, at, yeah, at yeah. you know, at the teenage dumb. Um, yeah, but it's kind of like when he, you keep dubbing a tape and it's just a copy of a copy and it gets, yeah, right, it's all fucked it, up and out of focus and warped. But there's a charm to that, you know, there's a charm to that kind of fuzziness. But he cited a few bands and a few movies like Tears for Fears, uh, Cocteau Twins, The Breakfast Club. 16 candles you know all of these are pretty key inspiration for the album and you can hear you definitely hear that this guy has not aged well deep taste (laughs) in in film this guy is a regular old cinephile all right yeah i i don't want to turn this into like a john hughes rant but like i'm so (laughs) here we go i'm so sick of people saying john hughes like really summed up the teenage experience and it's like four suburban like middle class white people, he not e- just like, white kids, just, like specifically like from, from Chicago. Chicago yeah, yeah, it right. yeah like American white teenagers. Yeah, it was so it's Midwestern. like it's kind of like an upper like middle I made class. Some, like I made some very enjoyable movies, but like people talk about him like he's fucking Ozu or something. Like captured the like essence of like entire generations and eras. It's like it's, it's too much. <laughs> i mean if your movie yeah. let me i'll put it this way i like a lot of movies that get played on like tnt five thousand times a year yeah that's how we but form you gotta our question idea of if those movies is. are like yeah. important art at that point like is it really is a movie that's played to the masses on like t- tv and commercial breaks because it's just like it's easy to pleasant, cut up like that it's like a pleasant thing to spend an afternoon with well i mean i is would that say like that- high capturing 
you know the essence of what a teenager was in the 1980s i don't think i mean i mean I art like has commercial crap. art has different uses and sometimes yeah it doesn't need to be like important but it can be comforting you know or like familiar can be or both. easy and that and that could have a purpose well, anyways, um, yeah, let's talk about I, something else. That was all that's a, I'm sure he'll get brought that, up later, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's a whole and that's a whole other conversation about art and commerce and what it means and whatever. But um well, let's talk about it. <laughs> well, let's let's move on style. Yeah, sorry. To <laughs> um a little bit more history here. So um, as you mentioned, Noah, there is a girl resembling Molly Ringwald on the cover of this record and Actually, the song Graveyard Girl is based on a goth girl that uh, Gonzo knew who worshipped Satan and dreamt of a sister like Molly Ringwald. So, you know, he's pulling from his child, from his teenage dumb and from his his own youth for some of these characters, for sure. Um, but to to create kind of the throwback sound, they definitely were, you know, using analog synths, analog keyboards, tried to avoid they tried you know avoid using the computer as a you know as an instrument at least and really just focus on getting the you know contemporary sounds of the 80s uh sounding good Except and for i think MySpace. they succeeded <laughs> and then for the, for the rec for this record he did want to challenge himself because the previous output definitely you know there's they're much more instrumental based there's a few vocals here and there but the structures are not necessarily pop song structures so for this record he definitely wanted to to challenge himself to write some pop songs um which he said was really difficult for him um he compared it to to a filmmaker trying to be a comedian which like uh, you know <laughs> kind of it kind of makes sense Chaplin, only once every 100 years <laughs> but i think co-writing the songs with morgan kibbe and his brother probably helped him a lot because they really you know they did help these songs do have that structure to them where there is, you know, verse, chorus, verse, bridge, instrumental break, chorus, and whatever. And then I was reading this MTV interview and he was asked about like, you know, you, you're, you're talking about the overarching kind of nostalgic theme of teenagedom here on this record. But for a lot of people, teenage years were painful experiences and maybe not something they want to go back to. And Anthony Gonzalez said, yeah, some people tell me that, but it was one of the best periods of my life. You experience so many things for the first time. Your first sex, so many things. It can be scary, <laughs> but for me, it was just about Your fun. First sex. Uh, he's French, after all. I mean, come on. Yeah. So that's the reason that's I did top this. Top of mind for him. <laughs> he's like, so I he's never like, make fuck. I make music. <laughs> so that's the reason I did sex, this album. Yes. <laughs> I just wanted to recreate the feeling of my teenage years, and I think that brings up something interesting, where it's like when we look back. You know, we often tend to ignore some of the more painful bits, even though that's just as important and just as like, you know, character building or whatever you want to say, you know, just as important to who you are. But, you know, this is definitely a romantic view of teenage dumb, definitely like a, a rosy hey, view. Of Adrian, a wise man once said, don't look back in anger. <laughs> <laughs> is that how that song goes? <laughs> Yeah. Don't look back in anger. Don't look back in just like mortifying embarrassment or awkwardness or uncomfortableness. No, see, that's what I'm saying. That's what those movies should be. They should be like yeah, way they more hard. They should be horror movies. Of, 
Yeah. <laughs> I guess ever tell you about this reoccurring nightmare I have where I have to go back to high school. And it's not that like I had a really bad time in high school. It, it's more just like the, to have to be a part of the bureaucracy <laughs> and all the rigmarole of high school. I wake up in a, like a cold sweat every time. It's, it's scary, <laughs> scary stuff. Yeah, that sounds fucking yeah. terrible. Yeah. But just to finish off here, the album was released to generally positive reviews. There was a few kind of mixed reviews here or there, but mostly positive. And it did reach 107 on the Billboard 200 chart, which is, you know, pretty, it's a pretty good outing for a relatively, you know, in relatively small indie band at this point. And it did reach number one on the Heat Seekers chart, which I was kind of surprised by, but that's cool. This is kind of the record that, shot them to stardom i mean the next record really did but this is kind of put them on the map a little bit pitchfork ranked it eight on their best of 2008 list and one 111 on its top 200 of the 2000s list Whoa. um and i think i think that's probably about right there's you know it's probably right in that good in that range but yeah that's kind of the the backstory to this one yeah I want to kind of uh, somewhat cynically push back against something that he said about like recreating the feelings of being a teen and looking back on that. I mean, I, I, I don't question that was part of his motivation, but it's also like it seems very filtered through like a cinematic lens and a very romanticized cultural experience and an American cultural experience, too. So I'm wondering if like, you know, that definitely influenced his output on this album, you know. Like, I don't know. Caleb, the it's, U.S. invented teenagers, bro. When you look back <laughs> in nostalgia, it's American. Nostalgia is right, inherently right. American. But I'm just I'm just curious about how it was he able to compa- nostalgia. Was he able to compartmentalize <laughs> like his own the own personal view of it and then a more detached My kids, like macro cultural have nostalgia. view? Of they didn't of get what? to have that. <laughs> they were robbed of this. They, when they when they're our age, they won't even have nostalgia. It's fucked. Well, I think it's, you know, I think it's kind of, um, I think he's trying to do both. I think he's trying to like use his own experiences and his own, you know, pleasant view of teenagedom, but also kind of expand it to be more universal. I don't know. Maybe it's the thing of like, if you want it to be universal, make it very specific. And then that kind of makes it more universal in a weird way. And I don't know. That's a good point. That's true. Yeah, I just I wouldn't be nostalgic for the '80s because um, the weed would have been trash, <laughs> and uh, the weed was a big part of my uh, our hour. I can, speak, some... I can speak universally here for everyone in the room. Um, was a big part of our teenage nostalgia. So yeah, that's true. That would have been um, trash. You'd have lewds. We would have lewds <laughs> and probably higher quality uh, yak, but. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> What are you gonna do? You know, All right, let's move you on. Uh, play with the cards you're dealt. This is off okay. the rails, <laughs> as it should be. It's the eighties, baby. Of. Yeah, eighties <laughs> got cold wars. All over the place, Reaganism. Yeah, but you know what's weird? It is 80s, this album. It's 80s, but it's not like Miami Vice 80s. No, no, it's no, like no. there's there's that gloss it's a little of more like downtrodden. Spielbergian, it's, yeah. yeah. I guess the whole John Hughes effect. Maybe John Hughes, the whole thing soured me on this album, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you wish you would have pulled from a deeper set of uh and like a French cinematically. John yeah. Probably. I'm sure Truffaut. there is. 
400 blows. Well, the whole Antoine, um, whatever yeah. series, right? Yeah. Pull from your own shit. Gonzo. Come on, man. <laughs> well, speaking <laughs> of his own shit, why don't we get into histories? Let's get into our own shit. Um, oh. yeah. What is, uh, what are our nostalgia of the, what's getting nostalgic about this album? I like testify. So 2008, by the time 2008 rolled around, I had like a, probably a good four year, uh, love affair with M83. I was like, had all of his albums or the band's albums, the dead cities one, somebody burned that for me. Um, I really liked the one before this one. Uh, what was that one called? Dawn something. That was two before this one. That, uh, before the dawn heals us. Yeah. Before the, the dawn one. heals us. Isn't that the name of the death metal? Like that Swedish black metal documentary? Before that's, the dawn heals us. Isn't that until the light takes us or whatever? Uh, okay. Yeah. Until the light um, takes us. That's a nostalgic, moody piece of crap movie. Looking back <laughs> through my nostalgic lens. But yeah, so I was into this this dude and this album came along and I would have been kind of the perfect age for it, I think, because I was like, shit, 24 or something. So like 24 is like an age where you're nostalgic and kind of like kick up a couple notches a little bit where it's like, yeah, I remember it all those like being a kid because it's like adulthood is so looming. And often, like, in your early 20s, it's, like, you know, it can be a kind of a drag again because it's, like, fuck, I got to have money and shit like that. And, uh, <laughs> in a lot of ways, your early 30s are much smoother and kind of better. But, um, yeah, it's, like, the 70s were the real 60s. Your 30s are your real 20s. Yeah. Yeah. Go. Well, you can appreciate it more than you could. That's and true. And just, just to interject here, Noah, he was, I think, 26 or 27 when he was writing this. So, okay. So, it's probably speaking of someone, yeah, pretty much my same age. Uh, yeah. So, when I was listening to this album, yeah, it's, it's very much reminiscent of kind of when you're 24 and you get that feeling sometimes where you like look back at your life like five years beforehand or something and you're like, oh, you didn't know how good you had it. Just being a little kid, no worries in the world. <laughs> But then you also look like five years ahead and you're like, yeah, I hope I have it more figured out by then. You know, it's kind of like kind of kind of stuck in the middle. But I listened to this album quite a bit. Uh, my buddy Edward was like super into this group. Your buddy Edward so, sounds like a fun guy. <laughs> yeah. You guys, you guys yeah. We'd probably get along, right? <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, Good old Eddie. And uh, Eddie he, was, he was into it. And so we had a lot of late nights listening to this shit. He lived right by a graveyard, so graveyard girl was getting played oh, that's a right. lot. Graveyard smash. The midnight and the midnight hour. Um, yeah. That's spooky. But, uh, yeah, M eighty three. It was and then maybe it is just kind of a youthful album because I haven't revisited it since probably, I don't know, two thousand ten or something like that. Um, but yeah, it reminds me, I was just, you know, living at home trying to figure it out. And this did give me a little hit of nostalgia and uh, allowed me to kind of revel in my 
youthfulness too where it's like you know what i'm still young man I'm like yeah these are like some <laughs> swelling anthems that i can swig can always get back to that swig beer to uh maybe drink a little pinot <laughs> it's um, definitely a wine drinking album for sure yeah wine album for sure um but yeah that's my history m83 just a young man's artist nice well yeah. i'll i'll take it from there because i was also a young man when i was listening to this i had been super into that first well their second album but the first one i really heard was was dead cities red seas and lost ghosts I, I really love that record. I may have even been the one to burn it for you. I don't remember if that was the case, but I, I definitely did burn it for a bunch of people. Yeah, um, I think you burned it for both me and my older brother, Zachary, I think. Oh, that might be it too. I think I did it for like a CD case over at the house. Yeah, I think I, and I think I did, I recorded it, recorded a dub for D Max, a uh, friend of the show. But anyways, so I was, I was super into that record. And weirdly enough, I didn't get into the next one, the, the one that you mentioned, Noah, um, before the Don Heels, this, although it was like extremely my shit. Well, I mean, that wouldn't. Oh, have oh wait, I thought, you're, I, I, I thought you were saying the one after this. No, no, no. The I'm be- talking about before the okay, Don Heels. Yeah, you're um, doing before the album. Not after. Yeah, no, I so, keep forgetting the, the title of that album before the Don Heels. This. Yeah. And I listened to the shit out of that album, too. Yeah, it's a great record. Um, I it's I've listened to it since, but at the time I, you know, I kind of jumped from Dead Cities directly to this record. But I definitely remember downloading it the day it was released. Uh, you know, getting it hot off the presses, probably based off of the Pitchfork review. But I'm not sure if that lines up. Sometimes the record would come out a little bit before the review and vice versa. But it, uh, I, I really liked it. It was kind of an instantly like, oh, this is different, but I, I like it a lot. Uh, you know, I, I could sense that it had been an evolution. I think if I had listened to the the records in between, I probably the, the evolution would have been smooth, would have sounded smoother. But I definitely heard, you know, how he was so taking some smooth. of the stuff. <laughs> I, I definitely could hear how he was taking some of the stuff he was working with earlier and kind of bringing it to this record and giving it a different context and you know kind of putting a sheen a bit of a sheen on it to make it a little bit more a little bit less noisy and a little bit more poppy um but yeah the record became a pretty regular mainstay for me when uh, during those you know late aughts probably up through till that double album in the early 2010s um but you know i would i play that work as at the gas station you know i i think i did burn copies for you know people at uh, the pizza shop that we people we worked with um so i was a big fan of of them in this record um and i think a lot of it had just because i was in love with my bloody valentine and these guys always got name checked you know or my yeah. bloody valentine always got name checked when they were talking people were talking about m83 so that was a big thing for me i was like oh this is like if you basically flip the the ratio of like synths and guitars um that's kind of m83 uh, from uh, my bloody valentine you know and just a little bit more electronic i suppose but uh and that definitely you know hit for me and and then this to to listen to this record which is taking some of the stuff that you know my bloody valentine was doing but you going in even further pop direction you know i i really dug that and i really liked 
you know, how he was bringing in those 80s textures. It was not, it was still novel at the time, you know, as we kind of mentioned. I think now looking back, it was, it's hard to look at that and see, think that because we are in a kind of post, you know, Stranger Things, whatever world where everything the canary has been touched. in the coal mine, my friend. <laughs> it just is the nonstop nostalgia after this. Lay yeah. on thick like those guitars and synths. <laughs> But uh, one other little tidbit uh, before I wrap up here, or as to, to wrap up here, uh, I did see this band live at the time. It was on the tour for this record. Uh, they played nice. this weird festival, Download Fest 2008 in Mountain View. <laughs> that I went Very to. 2008 so name of a festival. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Believe me. And this festival well, was. Who played at this thing? Wait, let's. What year was it? 2008 2008 okay yeah one, let's do a little band, micro game well one band's already been mentioned but i think you probably won't some you won't get but i can tell you okay, let me i can tell you who we we went to see and then but let's hear who you think was there i'm gonna guess rogue wave oh no but similar bands for sure um, Noah, who would you guess is there i'm thinking but i'm thinking of like Okay. One has uh, already been mentioned be today. That's uh, that's uh, one band that we mentioned earlier is, was there as well. Okay. Thinking, I don't know. I want to say of Montreal, but that might be a different vibe for this download fest. Yeah, definitely a different vibe, but still, you know, in the ballpark for sure. Scissor Sisters. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> but again. They wouldn't be, you wouldn't bat an eye if you saw them on the... You wouldn't kick them out of the fest. No, but uh, do you want me to just kind of just go yeah, through some of the bands? Lay some out, yeah. I, I, right. I found the poster, motherfuckers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so it was me and Nat. Nat, Nat drove us up there, a friend of the show, Nat. And, but we were mainly... M83 was definitely a band that we wanted to see. And one of the reasons we, we got tickets, I think, but you know, cut copy was another one. You know, that was the band. Oh, we the earlier. Oh, yeah. 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 For sure. Um, I love that shit. Tapes and tapes, which is a band that we saw together, Caleb. And I think, Oh yeah. Mentioned on the pod. Um, yay. Sir. Summer 2022. <laughs> uh, yay. Sir. Who I think okay, we well. saw. Is that right now? I mean, you did we see? Yeah. Them? They opened for uh, man, right around this time, probably a little bit after this. <laughs> yeah. The way we talked, the way we talked back then, it might have been two thousand eight or somewhere around there. Yeah, somewhere around there, maybe oh nine. But um, but then there was also like weirdly enough, there was these eighties bands like Gang of Four and Jesus and Mary Chain were the uh, the two kind yep. of headliners, which was Sweet. they were both good i think gang of four was really good and jesus and mary chain had a classic classic jesus and mary chain where their shit was breaking down and they were fucking furious and it was just apparent that they fucking hated everything did they only play uh, for like 20 super, minutes were they no. super fucking loud though <laughs> it was definitely cut short but it was super fucking loud and it was definitely cut short but it was longer i think than 20 minutes I saw um, them like five years ago, maybe less four. And I thought it was like, oh yeah, I want to see them, but they're notorious for playing like these like 20 minute shows, the same six songs. And they just, they're kind of pissy. I got to mm -hmm. say they fucking killed it. 
I was like shocked. I was like, oh, they're fucking good live. Did they play Hardly Strictly or something? No, it was at the Fox, I think. Oh, that's right. Can you guys yeah, they, say when they were who... on? Sorry, just I uh, just when they they sounded oh, yeah. good when everything was working. Go ahead, Caleb. Can you guys guess who the headliner was? Do you remember? I mean, it? I don't. I don't have to guess because I know because we were rocking out right when that was happening. As you should. It, was it My Bloody Valentine or something? No, it no. It, 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 it's low key shocking now, but not shocking for two thousand eight. Who is it? RJD2. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. This is quite the fest. That might have been the last show Homeboy so wait, who, ever played. Who played right before RJD2? The Jesus and uh, Mary Chain. Yeah. And that's Gang that's of Four. 08, baby. Um, brand that was new. our Woodstock. Brand new. Oh, yeah. Brand new. Has played. since been canceled, right? They got canceled. Yeah. That guy yeah. is a. Uh, uh, we got uh, Mute Math. That band doesn't getting, exist. But <laughs> getting a little off the rails here. You're getting um, into the smaller print, Caleb. Two, two no, more, I'm not. Just, it's all the same print. No, yeah, exactly. Right. Um, right. Adrian, you're, and you didn't even touch the Five Gum stage, which had Blitz and Trapper and some other artists. Uh, yep. <laughs> I just think it's the Five Gum sponsorship really just paints it in that <laughs> fucking era. Two, two other little bits about this that I'll just say, besides the fact that MA3 were really great, actually, um, I, they played like kind of right before the evening. So it was kind of starting to, to turn a little bit, get a little cooler. And I right just remember on healed you. <laughs> yeah. Before the dust killed me. Um, oh, the dust. Damn. I can never remember the title. Good joke. <laughs> but I remember Morgan Kibbe. She sounded fucking great live. Like her voice was just projecting and just sounded super, super good. And I remember Anthony Gonzalez had like, they both had these synths, like these, a bunch of synths in front of them, but he had this big box thing and he was like plugging and unplugging things is like a modular synth. And that was fucking cool. Uh, he's making a lot of cool sounds with that. Um, but a couple of other little notes about this. We, me and Nat were too shy to go talk to Brian Posehn and ask if he wanted to smoke weed with us. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, That's and then, up. yeah, right. Um, and then we saw Chris Hardwick do like the same five minute set, like, eight times and we wanted to kill ourselves because yeah. we were just fucking he's, bored. He's listed here three times. He was like the host of the comedy stage. Yeah. Oh my God. And it was um, like the, it was probably the, the festival I've been to with the least amount of people. It was sad. It, like it. Okay. Talk about a nostalgia merchant. I, I hate Nerdist thing was all fucking his doing. Yeah. I yep. hate to dwell on this, but just this flyer is amazing to me. Because it, it encompasses. <laughs> Where was this show? Dude, this is Mountain the funny View, thing Charline. The flyer says oh, yeah. download festival and the people who it's powered by Seagate, which is like a data storage company. Yeah. But it says Shoreline Amphitheater, San Francisco, California. Yeah. <laughs> but it's probably an oh. hour from San Francisco. But the other thing I want to uh, comment, two things. Gerrymandering there. is who the fuck is Natalie Portman's shaved head? Did that, that was involve a Natalie Portman at all? No, it did and not. Also, I just got just like PTSD remembering that Flo Stradamus was a artist. Oh, Flo Stradamus. Oh, boy. We're going to have Oof. to do every person on that poster. We'll do it. This is the lame end of the kind of the Magna thing. Carta of this podcast. We found it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in a way, but a lot of these bands, I don't know. There's not a lot of Louis the 14th. Remember them? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Airborne Toxic. What about- event. <laughs> 
What was that one band? Robot, I Robot, or no Robot something? Oh, okay, go. Oh, no, I know exactly what you. Dude oh, had boy. like a crazy mohawk. Oh, we are yeah. robots. Yeah, we are robots. Was that the one with Chloe Seventy's brother, or was that? AR wep are weapons. Remember that? <laughs> they could have played oh, that show, right? See, oh, I like man. this segment because we're getting back into our uh into our text message roots right now. <laughs> All right. Adrian, what up? What that was so that, say, your history? that about that sums up kind of my That's history. I, I I listened to this record quite a bit around this time and probably all through that until that double album, and then that double album kind of took over. But yeah, during this period of time, the late aughts, super huge fan of these guys probably a bit of an evangelist for these guys. And yeah, I, I was lucky enough to see them right at the height of my fandom. Nice. You should have invited me, dude. I was into this shit, man. Yeah, dude. I like five. Guns. We probably did. Probably, like... Everyone's probably broke. I know I was broke. Yeah, I could barely get to 2008. There was not. A lo- what do you think our collective like net worth would have been? Dude, <laughs> I was say, like the core 50, group of like the 10 we of hit the 50 G's. I think that we'd be. Dude, I had oh, like, dude, I was going to say like $8,000. <laughs> I had. Yeah, probably. Had two... Probably closer to 10 G's. <laughs> I had two jobs. And I was renting like a three bedroom house with my girlfriend at the time. And I could barely come up with like $200 a month for rent. I'm just like, yeah. what the fuck was I just making doing? like 400 bucks a month and just thinking like, oh, this is kicks ass this is great. We got to re- we got to realize though that the, uh, the capitalist economy just preys on starvation wages. We all have minimum wage jobs, uh, which has true. not changed. Multiple minimum wage jobs, even from f- almost fifteen years ago, and, and then from another fifteen years before that. <laughs> so it's not your fault. Yeah. Well, Kayla, why don't you uh, jump in here? Lose and not a lot of money goes hand yeah. in hand. <laughs> yeah. Never learn. Life of despair. Never the twain shall meet. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking of nostalgia, that tell the uh, Taliban deal. It's yeah, a hell of a deal. Um, from high school, <laughs> but uh, anyways, yeah, I first heard this probably through Noah or Adrian because it wasn't like the Keep my name summer where I got all into indie and was trying to like get back to the roots of that. It probably would have come later, um, from one of you two. I think it was Noah though, and he would said like they're like the walk around them was like oh they're like the next my bloody Valentine. They're kind of like. They have that loveless vibe, but they do it more electronically. So I was like, oh, dude, that sounds dope. You know, I was a big My Bloody Valentine dude. So, yeah, I either had a burned copy of it or I had it like on like downloaded MP3 versions of it or something. And and then somebody people in college like that. I think the homies that I was um, hanging out at the time uh, had that those the those albums two and three that came out before this and i like those albums a lot i thought they were like really immersive and soundscapey and all the lobster steak dinners i was having at the time really helped me enjoy that album a little bit more if you know what i mean and uh yeah it's like the yeah i like the um how enveloping it was and just like the density and just all the the uh, you know kind of the textures and all the heavy guitars and stuff all like the synth washes so uh, yeah i like those albums a lot um because i liked it because it wasn't like quite like indie rock but it wasn't you know it definitely wasn't metal but it definitely wasn't like super experimental it was like this kind of like third place um for like music i was trying to like get into at the time so i thought that, i found that refreshing you gave it the bronze <laughs> third place no like a third not like a third place you know <laughs> not like <laughs> third place out. 
Caleb, third, you ever heard that expression, the third place? You uh, said third plate? Third base? To... From the 90s? <laughs> well, I'll get to getting into Cactus? third base later. Um, <laughs> speaking of nostalgia, high school. Uh, um, oh, yeah. But they used to call bars the third place, too, because you men would have work and home, and they needed a third place. They go to bars. But third place refers to, like, something I that was neither, the booty hole. It's neither here nor there. Anyways. Good God. Anyways, they weren't, yeah, they weren't like, you know, straightforward indie rock, but they weren't like experimental electronic music. They were in a third place, which was cool, which I liked. Um, and then when this album was coming out, it was 2008, right? Yep. Yes. Um, yeah, I had moved out of the dorms. Um, so I had a little bit more um, freedom to kind of bump music and stuff. So I was really into like, the media fire kind of blog downloads and stuff. So I was just like collecting tons of music that way and um, burning CDs and shit from people. So then pitchfork TV was really in watching that all summer. But so I was hearing like more like, like yeah, I would get into a band. <laughs> oh yeah. <dude. laughs> I tried to make it go. Was the savvy fab at that download fest? They probably no, canceled. They could have spotted it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they weren't there. Only he was there doing. They were there, but they weren't he taping there. A, he was taping an episode of Beardo in the uh, crowd. Jesus, but yeah. Uh, anyway, so I was like, you know, kind of hearing one band and extrapolating out, and you know, and yeah, just kind of collecting uh, my interests. But um, I heard like there's a lot of hype coming around this album at the time, and I was like, I was like, oh yeah, I'm here them. They're cool. They're like a shoegaze band. That, that'll be dope. But then, the mur- like the murmurs were. Or like oh they're kind of doing something different and um when i first heard it i was like really kind of not shocked but like a little bit shocked about taking, well, it, back. Like, taking it back yeah um <laughs> by how like pop they went but then when you start then like the you know third when you kinda... flop when you weren't pop. <laughs> <laughs> but then when you look at like the trajectory of a lot of like louder shoegaze bands a lot of them kind of did go into like you know poppier um zones yeah, and that's true and tried to use more like yeah kind of like di- antics different... era inner pool no yeah. i'm talking more like kind of like you know you had your blood by my bloody valentine but then you also had like cocktail twins and stuff where there's kind of like there's the intermeshing of those scenes and stuff uh, the two so it, was like, I, I, it didn't games. sound yeah exactly exactly so it didn't sound too like foreign from what where they had started off sound wise um so and definitely and nat um roommate at the time good friend nat of the red of the red golf formerly the red jetta um he was really into this album dead cities red jettas and lost ghosts (laughs) but um he was really into this album it was definitely like we lived the street the cul-de-sac we lived on was called heather lane so it was like a definitely a heather lane jam and um yeah because it was you know it's like a it's like a fun poppy album and has some dancey parts too, went to too. high school with heather lane nice sounds like a porno <laughs> speaking of pino but uh yeah so it was like a pretty big album played around the house um and it kind of fit into like like that riding crest of like electro pop indie that was like kind of coming into being at that time so yeah, I liked that, like the sweetness of it and how that like the romance around it, but also, you know, had really engaging some electronic parts and stuff to it. So it wasn't like too far field for me, you know, kind of what I was into at that uh, point. 
Unlike but, it didn't blow your mind so much as it eased your mind. <laughs> you could say that. You could say that. But yeah, I remember mostly my memory around it the most is Nat really liking it and doing drunken sing-alongs to um, Kim and Jesse, that song, because I, I really like the tough thing. Yeah, I think I saw him and our buddy Edward do that like oh, the YouTube times. YouTube karaoke? I, yeah, singing Kim and Jesse. Yeah, it's that that was often happened. But shout out to Nat. He helped me kind of formulate my thoughts on this album. I was talking to him earlier and he sent me some notes about you know how this was like yeah, really polished and um definitely like kicked off the whole eighties. Aren't you gonna read his rewave? Email? What's that? Are you gonna read his email? Yeah, let me uh let me go pull up his email. Show us quick. the emails, Hillary. Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to edit okay. the shit out of this. Dead air, red jettas, and lost bits, baby. Oh, that would be ours. <laughs> Dead air, red jettas, and lost bits. Uh, before the yawn heals us, more like it. So Nat <laughs> sent along this note. He said, "Saturdays equal poop." <laughs> preteen. The preteen version. Yeah. That's what I want, dude. I want preteen stolen. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, Nat said, I think it's a product of, of its time because it seemed like a send off of synth heavy indie pop of the aughts. Production quality was top notch. Not saying it's a bad thing. Super polished. The last four tra- tracks are awesome. Overall, 8.2 for me. Pretty much a louder version of Cocktail Twins. And then he also <laughs> was a Heather lane jam for sure okay i think that sums it up really well better than i rambled about yeah so. Shout out nice. let's thanks for distilling it down baby let's go let's hear this bad boy oh we gotta do our current reactions first <laughs> we're, we're like always one bit ahead <laughs> oh yeah what do we uh how do we feel now looking I, back yeah on the past week how we're nostalgic it's, for this album still see that's what i wanted to say i I think it's good. I really liked it. It was solid, but it didn't like, I thought it would hit me more because of how much time I spent with it when I was in like a very kind of pivotal time in my life a little bit, you know, and it didn't give me any nostalgia hits because I think the the whole kind of, kind of engineered nostalgia where it's it's almost kind of like a groove robber situation where I'm like, okay, he's really just like, Ooh, grabbing robber yeah graveyard the graveyard grew the graveyard goo <laughs> and, uh, missed opportunity um so i think it, it kind of plays on your nostalgia i felt it was like a little manipulative where it was like oh he's really just kind of it's almost like he sampled these 80s guitar sound or something which isn't fine you know i think yeah amateurs borrow pros steal you know if you're gonna do it just do it like perfectly get the guy who engineered cocktail twins you know to produce your record like yeah go for it go all out embrace the um youthfulness but it, it didn't really like i don't know it, i thought it would like set something off in me more but i appreciate it i think it sounded in a way very reverential to 80s sounding stuff and wears its influences on its sleeves 
but I don't think it sounded dated because I think it did just barely predate that whole 80s nostalgia explosion that we all kind of swam in for like almost a decade. So yeah, I listened to it quite a bit and I think it's, it sounds great. Like the production, you can't, you can't really complain about this production. You can complain about some of the sappiness um, mm -hmm. and but it does give you some darkness and some, but it has that bright kind of eighties, that whole John Hughes thing. You know what? Whatever. John Hughes is fine. Home Alone's the shit. <laughs> All right. Watch, you came around. Watch the breakfast club on TNT. But did you know what Uncle I want? Know? Come on, man. But I want less John Hughes. But did you nostalgia. know? No, did you know that? Or Tarkovsky nostalgia. <laughs> Where it's all what just clips of your life like it's very hazy dreamlike and i think this album brings what it is to look back on your life little glimpses of things you can't Solaris really pinpoint effect. what you did you can't pinpoint what you did day to day it's all just a wash with textures and these people faces and you know who knows what you did when you look back 10 years ago it's hard to put the pieces together sometimes true okay home alone do your home alone chunk well <laughs> you know my theory is that you know that there is a, a theory that john hughes ripped off home alone from a french film right oh code yeah. Père noel uh which is like uh, kind of like i think that moves a little bit more lurid a little maybe more like giallo influence or maybe not i don't know but it's about a kid i thought it was more wacky around christmas what i understood yeah, from a home invader. It's called Code Pair Noel or whatever. Yeah. Um, but so I don't yeah, know. Maybe it's also Tony called Gonzalez Game like, Over, I think, is the American yeah, yeah. title. But maybe Tony Gonzalez had a vendetta. He's like, you stole from <laughs> us, John Hughes. I'm stealing from you. Yeah. Feed it back know. to you. It's a feedback yeah. loop. Um, yeah. no. But anyways, yeah, yeah I think it's, it's Saturdays equal youth. I guess that's about right. Sounds about right. Math adds up. Yeah, <laughs> I'm no professor. <laughs> yeah, check your work. I'm no mathematician or math magician, but um, I, if you're finished, no, I can uh, kind of take the reins here. Oh, go ahead. <clears throat> yeah, so I was kind of struck by how well it did hold up. Similarly, I I was thinking like this is gonna be because I had listened to it so much and it was such a like a key record for that time. I, I thought you know maybe it would hit those highs and it didn't quite hit that high but it still sounds really really fucking good um i thought that maybe it would be sound a little dated because of the 80s pastiche thing but it really doesn't i think that's absolutely right the the product the production and you guys too production is just killer everything's really clear i think well one thing that the review mentioned that i think is a really good way to put it is that like the the records before this especially dead cities and and uh, before the dawn they kind of had like a vertical sort of production where everything is sort of stacked on top of each other. Right. Whereas this skyscrapers one, on the album cover of uh, exactly, exactly. Dawn. Whereas this and one the is other one mentioned cities, which are uh, true. But um, this one, this one is horizontal in the sense that everything kind of has more space to live, to live in and everything's kind of more expansive and everything's kind of has, you know, it's a little bit more lush. And I think that's pretty accurate. Like it's the like, suburbs. <laughs> sure. Like the one, like the pleasant meadow that's pictured on the cover. Um, yeah. 
I think, it, you know, I think that uh, that that having everything kind of be balanced in that way helps these songs breathe a lot more. And you know, there's still a, there's still some density here, but things are just much more like the palette's much more wide. So everything feels a little bit more clear and it really helps with these songs. I mean, the songs are paired back anyways, compared to what he, you know, the density of stuff before, which was really, really dense with a lot of sound, a lot of noise, a lot of texture, you know, here he's kind of tastefully picking things and choosing things and, and, you know, picking where they're going and, and how they're sounding and how loud they are and whatever. And it's just, it's really done really well. I mean, that's, yeah, that's why you go to the guy that did the Cocteau twins records because he knows how to get that fucking expansive lush sound mm -hmm. that still is, you know, super, you know, dreamy and, and, and can wrap you up. Are Cocteau but, twins is like the best band ever. I think so. I, really I think, think we should it. just, we should just shift to a Cocteau Twins podcast. <laughs> yeah, honestly. dude, I see. We'll, let's do a I see. heavy deconstruction of them. It's like we'll do the Cocteau Twins a minute, and we'll get all their albums. And each minute will we'll be each an episode. Song will be an episode. So, no, each yeah, minute song. of a song. <laughs> just to uh, spread it out. We're going long, long. Yeah, long. I feel like I see more Cocteau Twins shirts than I do like the cure shirts these days you know it's like did they win sure. the late 80s early 90s no i think they won the hipster thing like well i mean, I mean I when think, you I get think that's what the shirt things are reflection of like that bartender got, we saw the other night yeah that one when you got miley cyrus singing you know singing song the heaven or las vegas in vegas like that's yeah that there's a been a weird a, video a point has been reached. like it's almost finished don't worry She's yeah, like, she's, nobody, like yeah, she's like apologizing. Nobody washes. What's up with her voice, by the way? She's like, like don't nobody worry, fucking knows what this is. I smoke eighteen anyway. packs a day, but it, yeah, yeah, she sounded yeah. good. She did. You never right. fucking heard of this. <laughs> I thought it was Indians. actually a good cover. Hey, I think Vegas. she's a good singer. Vegas. Uh, is this Evan or is this Las Vegas? Bear with me now. <laughs> I want to do the in Nevada. I want to yeah. do the title track off of a. Uh, Cocktail Twins, 1991 album. Here we go. Wolfman Miley over here. Um, <laughs> but then her voice is good. I like her voice. Yeah, that's that's what I said. I mean, it's like she she did do that cover justice because, I mean, Elizabeth Frazier's voice is very specific and unique <clears throat> in her vocalizations. And I think she did a good job. But yeah, I think that we're, we're, we're kind of in a cocktail twins renaissance or something, because it's definitely been hitting. I definitely been seeing more people post about it and you know, whatever, sense. but it, 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 they should, because they're fucking amazing. And yes, definitely one of the best bands ever, but yeah, I think now listening to it, I realize that this is sort of one of the pinnacles of this eighties nostalgic sound that we're talking about. I mean, there were early out of the gates with it. So I think that helps a lot, but I think it's just a lot of albums try to do this and, and, didn't really they, they're pleasant and good enough you know like the aforementioned twin shadow or whatever or you know frankie cosmos or whoever else was doing this at the time i think or not frankie cosmos what was the other one anyways youth the point Lagoon? is youth lagoons one but um there was it all another came a little later so much yeah bands yes exactly like two years after this album that was like at like thousands of them wild right nothing, the whatever like Ex yes yeah. exactly um think, like those are yeah there's so many of them but washed exactly. out shit like that it kind of was just pitchfork for like a solid three-year chunk like pretty you know yeah that's what they loved yeah. was the sounding stuff yeah 
Yep. Yeah, well, totally. it's easy because then they could be like, oh, they could kind of do the whole uh, influence, like, ju- like spelunking, you know, and like call and be like, oh, call out bands like Cocktail Twins or like, you know, whatever obscure like French Cold Wave band or whatever, and like, you know, kind of flex that store historical knowledge. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, I think Taylor, Frankie Rose yeah. was the one that I was uh, the artist I was thinking. Oh of. yeah, Frankie Rose. That was a good, she had that good record, that one good record. Um, but anyways, just to kind of finish up, you know, I think uh, just a few little things here. Um, the melodrama of the songs, like the spoken word parts, they could definitely verge on the edge of being way too much over the top. But honestly, they didn't bug me at all. And I thought that I was worried that they would because like I had forgotten about them. And then I heard that first one. I was like, oh, boy. But they actually sit really well in the songs. They never last too long, so they never overstay their welcome. And I think they're kind of tastefully placed, you know, throughout the record. So it's just, you know, stuff like that where it could go so over the top and into the 80s thing. I think that it actually works really well. I think that, you know, I I, I think this record could have been helped by having an absolute banger. Kim and Jesse is kind of that, but... I think like don't save us from the flames from from um yeah from the um the the other record is just such a such an absolute just great single great it has a, it has a drop a hook but it's all just like super woozy and like like yeah. buried and shit and there's yeah. no drops on this album yeah. right but I think that fits the mood and the theme of this record but I th- I would have loved to hear just one more like absolute banger song like that. But yeah, you know, I, I really love it, especially now that I've gotten deeper into these bands. You know, at the time I was I liked these bands and obviously My Bloody Valentine was huge. But now that I've gotten deeper into like the Cocteau Twins back catalog and Kate Bush's catalog, you know, even Tears for Fears, which I've gotten more into um, the past couple of years, even or the past you know five years. There's all this these textures and things that they're borrowing from that I didn't necessarily cue into at you know, when the first few listens, but now it's just so obvious and it just sounds so good. Um, yeah. And then also just the way that he brings in kind of some of their older sauce, you know, style stuff in whether it's layered, the layered synth, there's one song that in particular that, that sounds really, really like their older stuff mixed with this kind of newer expansive production. And I just thought it sounds super good. And so, yeah, I think that listening now, I really, it, it it's really it was really enjoyable and i think it, it it'll probably come back into the rotation a little bit just because similarly yeah. i hadn't listened to this in quite a quite a while and and now i'm like oh yeah this record actually is pretty kick-ass you know it might not be i might not return to it as much as i do to the other ones but yeah this is this is definitely a great great record adrian since you're back at home did you find your old uh Sound. What's the Tears for Fears? What the fuck is that movie? I just blanked on. Donnie Darko. Donnie Darko. Did you find your Donnie Darko? T. I I never I never own any Donnie Darko stuff, but it's funny that you mentioned that because we did. Me and Emily did recently uh, rewatch it, and I gotta say it holds uh, up. It holds up pretty good. Cellar door. That movie is pretty. Uh, yeah, pretty maudlin and kind of of a piece Mad with this. World. I think it's probably the Tears for Fears. The Tears for Fears Mad connection, the Joy Division oh, connection. Nico and the Bunnyman kind of. The Mountain Play. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Different. Uh... He's like, Mad World. Come out. All right. Rest in peace. Uh, rest in peace, Swayze. <laughs> oh, that's right. Shit. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah. 
Yeah, Caleb, right. why don't you? Caleb, uh, um, let's go. Make it snappy. <laughs> okay, I, I'll be I'll be snappy. This is the episode where we're just trying to do the next segment. We're trying to leapfrog everything. Yeah, uh, it's getting late. I gotta wake up early. Oh, I'm sorry. See, you don't have to worry about that when you're a teenager, or you did, but you know, now it's to go to work. But um, yeah, I I you know. Like I said, I hadn't probably listened to this album aside from like, you know, the couple singles, you know, every so few years or so. But, you know, it was cool. It was like a fun listen. It was, you know, I listened and yeah, you hear a lot more of those influences that you're more aware of now and those uh, genre touchstones of like, you know, kind of the darker art pop and synth pop and even all those sorts of things. It's kind of like a, it's a very like light goth album you know i, th- I always kind of relate post-punk and even like kind of the more esoteric new wave stuff that kind of coming out of goth so which you know, also relates to kind of youthful teenage years and things like that so yeah um yeah it's had a certain like lightness and sheen to it that was able to like carry me it didn't it didn't sound you know too much of a slog at any point even though it's pretty long um, I think the first time I listened to it, it was a little bit much to get to, but then um, on the, like the second, third and fourth listens that I did. Yeah. You, you start to hear how it's all pieced together and how they're kind of pulling all those different, um, you know, reference points in and things. So yeah, that's, you know, pretty cool to hear. And I like the, um, you know, like I said, it, it's fun to hear that, you know, that, that kind of stuff and the updated versions of, you know, like the eighties stuff, but at times I feel it's like, could be a little bit watered down a little too preoccupied with nostalgia and kind of the throwback retroness of it i definitely prefer when they get a lot more spacey and kind of returning to that you know version of themselves and kind of incorporate more cold wave and dark wave um which were kind of basic you know we're like more european like you know the continental european influence and so then being french you know like you can hear like a the asylum party and those kinds of bands in this which is more like post-punk but with a lot more electronic influence because european pop music has always been more le- electronically driven so that was cool to like to hear um how they played with that but then put their own kind of pop sensibilities on it but like I said, I, I prefer the stuff that's more minimalist and kind of atmospheric that they do. And yeah. And um, so that stuff kind of carried me through it, like those longer, more drawn out songs. But then when they kind of put on those retro affectations, it kind of takes me out of it a little bit and it comes a little bit too obvious or like, you know, uh, self-aware. And like when they get into into the 80s cheese of it, like, like I was saying, it just reminds me too much of them just referencing like, whatever say anything or like a john hughes movie or whatever and i'm not a big fan of that stuff anyways because like it's like you know i was saying it's like a very narrow depiction of what youthfulness has had and it's kind of had an outsized influence on our collective memories and ideas of like the culture of teenage you know years and things so i'm a little resentful towards that personally so yeah, I, I don't really go for that stuff too much on here because I just don't relate to it anymore. You know, like when I was watching Donnie Darko when I was like 15, you know, that really touched me emotionally because I was like, oh, you know, it's like we're kind of these universal themes of where what's your place in the world and young love and all the, you know, things you can relate to. But now that you're like, I don't know, more hardened, experienced individual just doesn't, yeah. you know, you exchange nostalgia give me for the cynicism. 
<laughs> yeah, You're broken you know. man. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. You're Fifteen yeah, years so, old. Um, it's too late to laugh. Damn, dude. <laughs> yeah, but like, and like I said, it's a little long at times. But like, I, I will say, it's like them dudes and ladies they have a really strong handle on making synth driven pop music i mean like it's pretty they're pretty excellent at what they do and the way they can use all that old equipment and you know play on those sensibilities and really use that to their strengths and then weave all these textures and parts in and out to make like a very whole picture you know it's a very like well rendered ambitious album mm-hmm. and that i really do enjoy and i really liked about it i thought that was like really engaging and um yeah so that, that's like you know good on them for doing that and you know it's not for me a lot of the time you know like when they get too into the schlock of it like the graveyard girl especially like the sample at the end where it's just like is it from a 80s movie that he wished he would have written or something but then again i'm like maybe thinking i think think they know what they're doing at that part you know they're not that lame you know I, I, I'm, giving them, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt that they're leaning into the cheese and it's like a self-aware it's embracing kind of the cheese moment the, yeah homage, as he would say yeah but yeah <laughs> all right and, um, should we hear it well I, I just have a couple more points and then yeah let's definitely jump into it i feel like they kind of get in their own way at sometimes when they kind of try to hit that epic level you know when they're just kind of going along and they have these really well sequenced and orchestrated songs and then they'll kind of just go into these broader pop like you know euro sensibilities and it's like wheel in the skies is an example of that um where it's they kind of water down that really interesting synth work and all the drum programming and all the things they do with kind of these loftier ambitious more ambitious sounds that i don't really think they need um, I well, think let's it's get un- into it because you're stepping achieving. on my slaps. <laughs> I'm just saying it's an example. Yeah. So like that's sort of like lame and two euro for me, you know, well, you're um, stepping on my slaps. So let's just so, hear it. Okay. Um, <laughs> having settled in conclusion, it's uh yeah, it, it was a fun listen. I was glad to, I was happy to explore it again. And um, yeah. So why don't we just go into the smooth scale? <laughs> in the spirit of of skipping ahead (laughs) no 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 let's get back to let's get to the yeah no you you're raring to go let's get one from you you seem eager you know well let's do some slap i feel like you're waiting to shoot your long episode (laughs) but um uh let's get into slaps let's listen to the slappiest slapper that ever slapped on this slapping ass album (laughs) and it's gotta be number four graveyard girl the gons really goes for it on this i think it's the most i can't i mean we'll listen to it but is there a specific guitar riff that he's ripping off i like could not place it it sounds like i like the head over hills like it's a very right it's a very it's a very cure like too like yeah, it's very, yeah. there's a lot of yeah. cure guitar on this album Definitely. There's a, it's just, like mid, but it's mid like a more era cure, like the eighties. But it's a more poppier yeah. version of the cure. It's it's more of like more of a straightforward like eighties kind of new romantic like I don't know. Let yeah, it's like 
Like it doesn't have a lot of edge. Right. Where it's, like it's bands a, like The Cure and the like kind of played with dissonance a lot and kind of darker tones. And then that yeah. evolved into things that were a lot cleaner and more linear. Um, it's more sugary. Yeah, sugary. But totally. Yeah. It's Graveyard totally girl, slapper. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, let's give Noah what he wants. Play him a little. <laughs> Here is a little bit of the chorus of Graveyard Girl. I'll let this play because there's a spoken word part here. I'm going to jump the walls and run. I wonder if they'll miss me. I won't miss them. The cemetery is my home. I want to be a part of it. Invisible cemetery is my home. I'm 15 years old and I feel like it's too late to laugh. Um, <laughs> too late to live. Yeah, that, I think he says laugh. I'm looking at the lyrics right now and I feel it's already too late to laugh. <laughs> oh, shit. Don't we gotta you? Re- <laughs> we got to record <laughs> this over. <laughs> I should have been saying too late to live the whole time. That's, That's cool. We're doing like darker. a cocktail twins thing, you know. It's like who cares yeah. what the fuck we're saying? It's <laughs> it all evocative. A, it definitely has like an 80 pop glossy guitar riff, but it has those my bloody Valentine kind of background vocals going. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it's like an ethereal immediate. But yeah, I, I kept getting like simple minds. Yeah, kind of stuff like that. That big pop '80s sound that has like the little gothier elements. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it's just a well-executed song, and probably one of the probably one of like the bigger kind of hit indie songs of the 2000s. Yeah, it was definitely one of their bigger songs. Is one of the four singles from the record. Yeah, let's hear a little bit more. Let's hear a little bit of this. Um, the bridge here because i think that's actually really really cool too um and then we can move on to the next song but here is a little bit uh, more of graveyard girl like is that from like pretty in pink or something like from the no. soundtrack i think it's all no, him or sweets yeah. or 16th candle do you think he has a script laying around somewhere? Yeah. Maybe, because the videos for the record, they definitely had kind of a like a that John Hughes vibe for sure. So yeah. so I wouldn't be surprised if he has some back. A couple years it's gonna be like an A twenty four movie. It's like the A twenty four version yeah, of like, be like the eighties teenage. The Bell and Sebastian guy did that. Stuart Murdoch. He had like his little twee movie kind of based on it. Oh, Right, like right. The girl and the, the girl and the gang or something. I can't remember what it's called. Everything but the girl or something. That was a band. That's the band. Yeah, I don't know. The movie's <laughs> something like that. All right, All Caleb, right. you got a uh, you got a banger for us? Yeah, I'm gonna go like kind Slapper. of the other the other pole that this album is operating with, and i i think actually i have two slappers and they're kind of uh, of a piece of like i said that kind of darker dark wave kind of more underground european goth kind of sound and that is i don't know how to say it Kululers. 
colors? Is that just a funky way of spelling colors? I think it's just the French way, the French spelling of colors. <clears throat> oh, so colors, 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 colors. Yeah, iced tea. I want to hear the iced tea uh, saying that. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, I like how, I like how it's like really drawn out and long. I like long, darn kind of songs. You know, it's kind of my jam. It definitely has that more like unraveling kind of minimalist, you know, feel. And I really like that. I feel that's more engaging and enveloping for me. And yeah, it's just really lush and has really cool layers and arrangements. And I just like the way it unravels and things. So yeah. And nice. I think what is the, you know, um, the, the kind of the summation of that is like around the six minute mark. Um, there's like a, a slight drop, you know, that comes kind of around there. That's like, dude, get cool. up in my notes. Like the I, put, I put six minute mark right here, but it's cool tempo change. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. So that's like, yeah, him playing more on the Eno and um, like Tangerine Dream and, you know, like kind of the, yeah. Yeah, it's a haunter. Yeah. <laughs> a haunting slapper. All right. Well, here is a little bit of that tempo shift at the six minute mark of colors, colors. Cooler. Coolers. Let's have Vegas. <laughs> Wanna play coolers for you? <laughs> I love those icy scents. Yeah, that's that's my shit. Is like it still has that pop gloss, but with like a really dark, dank like foundation. You know, yeah. It just reminds Tangerine me of like dream esque. Yeah, but you know, you could just kind of see that playing in some like a huge, expansive European club in some you know Berlin or um, Amsterdam or whatever. Just like big. Um, I will say yeah, that just, that was. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, yeah, that's that's the, the that's the image that that song invokes. Even though I've never experienced that myself, but <laughs> one of these days. Um, but I will say that when we saw them live, me and that, uh, this was one of the songs that was a standout for sure. Like I still remember how big, like you're saying, how big it sounded in this outdoor amphitheater. It was just great, and uh, it did bring the house down a bit. Um, even though it is, you know, this this eight and a half minute kind of really it does not slow but it builds up it really builds up ahead of steam um mm -hmm. before it does that tempo shift actually let's hear a little bit of um the layers from earlier on here's a yeah. little bit where yeah, uh, the midsection the guitar comes in over um some of the drums that's that builds up here because there's like three or four sections here but here's towards the beginning of colors dabbing synth well plus like having the live drums with electronic drums too just really adds to like the the kind of um the the driving beat there and then <clears throat> just the way that all of the synths play in together and and kind of 
I mean, you have to, I, I, people out there, you gotta listen to this whole song because it does build up really nicely. Um, but it mm. is eight minutes, so we can't really play it all. But it is a great, great yeah. track. And, and definitely listen to the stuff that, that that song is influenced by. Like a lot of like, is that band, the Dutch band, Klaviksmux or whatever? I don't know how to say it. But um, yeah, just like the Continental <laughs> Great group. Wreck. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but um, yeah, just kind of like the non-European or non-English uh, UK kind of bass new wave um, synthy stuff from the 80s. Like that's really attached to post-punk and goth. It's like really cool. And there's a lot of other artists kind of from all over making uh, stuff like that now. So definitely seek that out, listeners. There's a lot of cool, weird, um, dark stuff to be to be heard. Yeah. Nice. Nice. All that stuff coming out of Europe in the 70s and the late 70s is yeah. fucking great. But uh, I, so I, after doing my track highlights, my, my slappers, I realized that I basically picked the four singles. Um, oh, nice. We've already talked about two of them and we've mentioned one of the other ones earlier, but I want to talk about We Own the Sky, which is actually weirdly enough maybe it's because it was i think it may have been used in a movie but it is the one that is played has the most plays on the record um really yeah interesting right because it is kind of of the four singles it's maybe the least immediate in a way um, maybe it was a bigger hit in europe or something it has a big um, payoff I it think does that's have probably a big why payoff. i think I think like that, yeah, that turning that hook in there. Um, yeah, I had this as a slapper as well. Yeah. 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 What are your thoughts on it? No, I, I had it as a slapper. Definitely. Oh, I forgot to issue breathy vocal alert for the whole, <laughs> the whole shebang. The whole album, right? <laughs> Retro, album. retroactively. Uh, let's just uh, breathy vocal alert that. Yeah. Uh, but this song is like what you like to call a mid tempo slapper, I thought, Adrian. It's oh uh, yeah, where it has like a very driving beat, but it kind of he kind of just rides the synth line the whole time, and the yeah the vocals are a little, you know, a little they could be a touch tad much, but I don't know. I just think it has a good flow. It's a different type of pop song on this album. Maybe it's less indebted to that eighty sound. It sounds maybe more original. I thought. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's accurate. It's you could also kind of hear it being played like at a European football game. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. Let's right. get the crowd pumping. Um, Maybe Kara, that's why you, it's got 43 million. Oh, uh, yeah. Did you think this song was whack? Um, I, Maybe it's that drop or like that big. I don't know. Yeah. Like I said, I think it's just a little gets too little big for its bridges, britches. And I think that's maybe like you were saying it's sounding the most of that era that it came out and not necessarily nostalgic. And I don't know if that kind of comes off. as awkward now to me. I, I don't know. It's, I, I mean, it's a admirable song that the way that it's built and everything, but I think there's just some certain choices with, you know, how it climaxes and things that are just not really for me. Yeah. Um, yeah so I wouldn't put it on the top of my list for the song, but I wouldn't say it's a bad song by any means. Maybe a little too trashy for you. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Too oh, true. Cosmopolitan Caleb over here. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's hear. Here's a little bit of We Own the Sky. Here's a little bit of the verse.
little urine rock there for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Kind of like, yeah, they're closing out a festival in like Paris or something. It's like, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Candles so are afloat. Aloft. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like, what, what's the, the French uh, fucking uh, Coachella or something? French Coachella. Primavera is Spanish, right? So what's the French one? I don't remember what the French one is. Who cares? Uh, here's a little bit um, of the chorus because it is kind of um, it is kind of more a little bit ex- not explosive, but it's it's kind of uh, yeah, it pays off nicely. So here's a little of that. Yeah. Does um does do they have Hulu in France? Hulu, Hulu. That sounds like I'd pay on a Hulu commercial. Yeah, it's lot, I think. I have... Oh, that might be it. I think it is used in a commercial. <laughs> like seriously, let me see. Beyond the skies is like Air France. I had a lot of <laughs> a lot of in my notes. A couple of times, I was like, this could either be it's like car commercial, but it could almost be like a pharmaceutical commercial like right like, does have yeah. that narcotic Zoloft kind of or something klonopin yeah. <laughs> yeah nice yeah. um all right. all right wait caleb did you said you had two slappers yeah or it's more of an honorable mention but i think it's of a piece with um the colors uh is skin of the night i th- i like That's... that because it has that ethereal like you know femme pop allure to me you know very evocative of you know like like we've been saying cocktail twins or maybe even like you know other 4ad bands like this mortal coil and yeah stuff like that yeah it's like it's minimal but it's also really enveloping and it's sensual without being too horny and i kind of gave me don henley vibes yeah yeah totally Uh, (laughs) i mean it's on the innocence yeah a little bit i mean I don't know. That's a Bruce Hornsby song too, you know. And those guys, those guys know how to write good pop songs, you know. Let's, let's yeah. give it to them, especially in the '80s. That shit. Um, the Boys of Summer. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's like sensual without being too horny. I don't like when it gets too horny because I don't know. It just seems a little disingenuous. Oh. Yeah, and the French need. That's to keep, the French. They, fest, they need the to keep it in fest. the pants. Horny, horny, horny. Uh, <laughs> you didn't want to think of your first sex when you're listening to this song, Caleb. <laughs> No, I never want to think of my first. Yeah, uh, how we do? Uh, how you I say uh, my first, first, sex. first sex, first sex? See, that's the thing this album needs. They need that like big busting crescendo from like that was the, the working title. You, like, first sex from, from the when you have your first sex and then you, you know, it's like first sex. Climax. Then we make album. <laughs> first sex, then music. Yeah, but um, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Did you have I, a, I like, let's go ahead. No, I think like I think with the jump, the jump's cool, and okay. then maybe yeah, do do a little middle section. But I really like, just, yeah, I just like how the movement uh, of it and it's uh, the, the the vocal, the kind of the the dual in like female male vocals. Um, it's a cool layering effect, and like I like how they interplay with one another. Yeah, and it's All like right. I said, it's like it's darker, and I kind of like the darker, more subterranean side of this album. The less- yeah. I- 
celestial <laughs> stuff. You know, I'm more of the terrestrial. I like to be in the fucking catacombs, baby. <laughs> sewers. Dink. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and I think especially coming between Graveyard Girl and Kim and Jesse, which are both really kind of shiny songs comparatively. Yeah, absolutely. It's a nice kind of, um, it's a nice kind of palate cleanser. Uh, but here is Skin of the Night. Here's a little bit from the intro. Skin of the Night. Very atmospheric. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but let's get into a little bit more than me here. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just gonna I was just gonna suggest that we should give the people some more Here's some sink their teeth into like yeah, here the blade go. movies. <laughs> some blade vibes in there. Definitely some leather dusters. Oh, this whole record's leather dusters <laughs> dial for sure. What the French call a Vib. <laughs> it's a whole Vib. <laughs> Very high drama on this song, too, which yeah. I appreciate. Totally. I mean, maybe it's like evoking the lesser known French teenage movies. You know, I could see them being a little bit more serious. Yeah, a little more brooding. Yeah, a little bit more brooding for sure. Like Lahaine? Yeah. Yeah. You ever seen, <laughs> you ever seen Vagabond? It's kind of like that. <laughs> Can't say I have. Oh, Agnes. Nice, nice. My girl. I just want to play one last, one of the, basically the last single that we haven't played yet, just because it is probably one of the more well-known songs from this record. I think this one's definitely been used in, in other media. Um, it's Kim and Jesse. It was one of the first songs that 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 really, you know, struck me when I was listening to this. Because I mean, first of all, coming after like that intro, which they they do this on, I think the past, like at least the the two records that I was familiar with, um, or that we have talked about, uh, Dead Cities and and yeah. Before the Dawn, where they have like an intro song that leads yeah, into like, like kind a, of a like a false start. Yeah, so it's yeah. like, so where it like kind of is like leads into this kind of the second song being the banger, and this is definitely the case here, but it's also like kind of announcing like this is a different kind of sound for us. This is a different kind of record from us. For us, kind of not immediately out of the gates, but like after you appearing, which is kind of a more plotting kind of build up song um, or intro, and then it goes right into this. I think it's just it's a great it's a great kind of one you know a great kind of punch into the record it's like the first day of like you know high school like junior year and you come back and you got a cool haircut over the summer and everyone sees you for the first time they're like oh he's different now <laughs> he's a new romantic now oh he's he got an earring a stoner <laughs> yeah that's kind of like, like oh look at me totally so yeah here's here's some of the intro first of all because it, it is starts off with a bang here is Kim and Jesse.
very breathy vocals there. Yeah. I forgot how long that song is. It's like epic. Yeah. yeah I like how minutes. he chose Kim and Jesse because, you know, I know a ton. I know like like three Kims, as DMX would say. <laughs> and I know about 10 Jesses. So it's like, it could be anyone, you know? It's very, yeah. It's universal themes, is what he's touching. That probably on. comes from a movie or something, Kim and Jesse. A movie that he's writing. I didn't look it up. That was probably a reference. I didn't look it up. I didn't. I didn't find anything specifically about you know who Kim and Jesse were. Or they came from his life or anything. So I don't know. But but you know it, it's definitely one of their more well known songs. I wouldn't be surprised if he was writing a Kim and Jesse script. But here's a little bit of the chorus, and then we can kind of move on to our wax or our more. Move on to the, the teaser spectrum. for the next episode. <laughs> Here is some Kim and some more Kim and Jesse for you. Got that gated drum, my bloody Valentine squall kind of sound yeah. going for it. It also yeah. reminds me of something you'd see like in an episode of like an HBO show. It'd be like Adam Driver being like, "Hannah, what are you doing? You can't just dance in the rain like that. What the hell?" <laughs> and then it's like credits. <laughs> Crashing season three of Crashing. <laughs> Season three, the season Pete three crashing we never gets, got gets Damn. kicked in the nuts. <laughs> yeah. He like goes down on like the concrete. It's like raining in New York. It's like yeah. starts playing Kim and Jesse. Do they bring in like a ringer for the credit drops for the comedic series? What do you mean? It's just always like the end of the episode, like the credit where they like last scene credit drop with the music. Oh, I always feel like that's very intentional on the on the prestige. TV. yeah like sopranos or Mad Men yeah. or whatever yeah of course and with the comedic they series they always accident? put indie rock on it yeah i'm just saying it seems like very intentional of course all right well uh so anyone have any wax for this i do i have a whack do you have a whack Noah? no i had like some kind of maybe skips i don't i think nat in that email said he loved the last four songs yeah I could kind of take or leave song nine and 10. Uh, just kind of like, eh, it's kind of more of the same. But, but too uh, late and uh, dark moves of love. Yeah. Yeah. Those are kind of filler. But yeah, at, at an hour, you know, I'm surprised I didn't have more of a whack. Nothing here got me all up in arms. I think there's some boring stuff, but that's kind of his vibe. He kind of makes. Yeah, he's slow music, and steady. Yeah. It gets to be the same pace. Um, so that can kind of the same length of song sometimes throws me out of an album, but yeah, no wax this week. All right. Well, Caleb. Yeah. Um, yeah, one whack I do. I, I didn't, I thought that song up is pretty whack. Um, mm. yeah, it just got on a kind of, it was a little cringy for me. It just like, it was just like a bunk ass Kate Bush. You know, uh, don't try to be Kate Bush. <laughs> well, it sounds uh, like our old friends, the knife, but yeah, yeah, Kate Bush can't even do Kate Bush anymore. Um, a little dull, knife. but yeah, it's, I don't know. There's something, <laughs> there's something, yeah, it is a dull the knife. Spark. I was just gonna say, yeah, <laughs> there's something like flat, 
and dole about it. Um, and it has some corny horny on it, which is a new, uh, <laughs> a new phrase I'm coining here. You heard it first. Yeah. It's yeah, hard, horny, horny. Caleb, when you, I saw this was on your wax. And I went back and listened to it. And it is, if you're doing such a Kate Bush kind of homage, like why name check like Hounds of Love? Why even evoke Kate Bush in the mm-hmm. lyrics? Because it's going to like sour people on it. But I don't know. It's okay. Up! Exclamation. <laughs> Do yeah, they I, mention Kate Bush in the lyrics? They say Hounds she of Love. She says Hounds of Love. Dude, that's so crazy. It's two weeks in a row because the fin, the finster... Yeah. So oh, he did talk about up, running up that hill, the hill in the right. so K Bush is everywhere, folks. As she should be. Yeah. But see, I I had this on my honorable mentions because the K Bush prestige works for me. I don't know if it's just because I love K Bush so much that it's like even a cheese cheesy kind of knockoff version of K Bush. And she really is just doing a she's doing K Bush. I mean, there's no yeah. I mean, obviously mentioning Hounds of Love, like it's very intentional, but like you can't hear this. And if you know Kate Bush and not, you know, you can't unhear the Kate Bush part of it. Um, but I'll play, uh, unless you have anything else to say, Caleb, I'll, I'm going to play a little bit of that. Kate no, Bush yeah, I, I, I said my piece. Yeah, so here's a little section I thought sounded really, really Kate Bush-esque. So here is a bit of Up. It is wet. Like Enya, little Enya vibe for sure. Sounds like a Ghetto Boys beat. That background part, horrorcore. There's a lot of similarities in dark wave and, and horrorcore. Yeah, yeah. The <laughs> tones they have some similar. Incidentally, tones. though, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, and also there's certain parts of it that uh, there it reminds me of Noah's catchphrase of embarrassment rock. But there's some <laughs> embarrassment pop that uh, comes yeah. through. Yeah. Well, the Europeans, man, they don't care how like sappy they are on a pop. No, that's channel. true. No, Which they I, wear it on they their wear it on their sleeve. Yeah, and you know that's good on them. You know that's it's a, it's an admirable trait to have. I just you know. Yeah. yeah, it's like the Euro song quest shit of it all. <laughs> yep as an american though i feel like you should it's repress like your feelings and just withhold that song i could just picture possible. somebody like cold breath like in the air as they sing yeah. <laughs> like a cold video <laughs> cold baby. yeah all right her voice is cool. really is that... killer though i i do want to say that like she yeah, does it is cool it... i just think in a different application i probably would have enjoyed it more. yeah just it's something amazing you know, yeah sure. all so the pieces of Kate the song Bush. just fall flat for me yeah i still i like that song though actually yeah i like it too i think it's it's catchy but i i totally i get what you're saying caleb like it is it's it's very much just like it's so Kate Bush. it's hard to it's hard to remove that and the, you know but anyways any, anything else no, I've oh. said my piece. Great. Let's get to no these. Uh, let's get to uh, the ratings. Let's get to some ratings. Okay, what are we going to give this album? Rate it. One out of ten. I'm going to give it, I don't know, as I'm saying it, it seems low, but I don't know. I think this album gets a little, I get a little cold on it towards the back end, so... I give it an 
Ooh. I think it's All like right. solidly That's produced. Surprising. There's a couple great songs that I don't know, didn't I'll probably listen to it again, maybe and spend some more time with it or something, but I wanna like I'd probably just make a mix of like five of the songs I like on the album and then get rid of the rest. You can put it on like a mixtape, give it to a girl you like, yeah. get rejected, <laughs> and then write songs about it. Yeah, give it, give it to Full my cycle wife. of life. Yeah, wifey's corner. She said, "This sounds like something I listened to like in 2008." But she's Ooh, like, "That's that's a." She's burn. like, "I have no no recollection of this." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was right. surprised though. It it has a life outside of 2008. I think. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, so that's why I can't knock it down too many points. But at, yeah, I, I think there is some filler and some all killer cringe no that I, it kind of <laughs> takes me out of it a bit. So I can't give it a glowing rating. So I'm going to give it a 7.7. 7. Oh, way low. No, I don't think that's low. I think for like, you know, if Pitchfork, and I'm not basing this on Pitchfork would rate it now, they would probably still rate it highly. Give it a 10 but now. the stuff I like about it, like, you know, those dark synth influences, if there was an album that came out that was just those parts, they would definitely give that band like a 7.7. 7. That's all I'm saying. Okay. So. Fair enough. Adrian, true believer. I feel like I, I smell a 10, Caleb. <laughs> Well, I'm sorry. Smells a 10. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> sorry. I don't. I don't. I think the whole. <laughs> no, you know when there's the, when the tens coming. Yeah. So I maybe a ten. I would have. I maybe have given would have given a ten back in 2008. But in 2021, I would have said anything. I'm gonna take a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> you got twenty dollars? Yeah. Um, I, I probably <laughs> was fucked up one night and be like, dude, this album is like what. One of the best albums ever made. <laughs> oh yeah, all yeah, high. definitely. Yeah, all like four in the morning. High. All yeah. high. Uh, sure, sure. We but said a lot I of think... crazy things in 2008. Try to get laid in drugs and whatnot. <laughs> 2008, we were very, very alive. That's all I'm trying to say, guys. Oh yeah, 21 years late. old, just. Was um, but to laugh. <laughs> I think. You know, I think that um, I think 8.5 is really close to the money, but I just want to give it just a little bit. I, I, I'll give it an 8.6. I think it's yeah. a solid record. The 10 record for me from them would not be this one. It would be one of the other ones. But I think yeah, this is pod. I, yes, I think this is one's very solid. And I just think that 86, 8.6, it works. You know, there's yeah. some there's some there's synergy there. Close to the year we were born, you know, kind of things back. Yeah. Um, that brings us to a admirable 8.1. Not bad. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. Not bad. Yeah. That's about right. Okay. Yeah. But I wonder though, like, do most people consider this like a 10? Like a classic. I think a lot of people would. I, I think know. there's a lot going for it, and there is a you lot. Hear anybody of... ever mentioned M83? And I think it got overshadowed. I think it got overshadowed by, by Hurry album, Up and Dreaming. I think that, that double album was too fucking long. It was too much. It, yeah, it's very long. But I would say that people probably think of that one as more of their kind of magnum opus in a way. Yeah. Um, if you look on Spotify, that's like all that. That's yeah. Like, that five album was like super high. Well. This album laid yeah. the foundation for it, and then it was just like, 
yeah let's like go for it and then let's make our like fucking whatever what's that long ass uh melancholy and the infinite yeah it's kind of like the melancholy for the or our generation even though yeah yeah that's definitely we'll never be able to do their follow-up album because it was 2011 (laughs) right because we never break we we can't break a rule nope never break a rule (laughs) never break a rule Keeping it indie, keeping it 2000. <laughs> That's what we say. I got two that, requests. That's our mantra. Podcast. Keep it indie, keep it 2000. And keep it about two and a half hours long. Yeah. <laughs> and keep it very esoteric for mid sized California cities. Um, all right. Well, all right. So. We actually did skip ahead to the whatever happened to this part, band. So that's okay. <laughs> that's but what happened. Um, that's that's what happened. Tony Gonzalez, yeah, they put out a bunch of L.A. at some point. So oh, yeah, yeah, he did. He did, and he put they put they put out a bunch of records since then. I think like four or five, maybe yeah. since then. Um, or no, 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 like like three or four. But he's he did a bunch of like uh, movie soundtrack. film scores. Yeah, video game film scores. So he's been steady putting out stuff for that makes sense. I think he's like a really adept, like sound artist, soundscapist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Totally. Oh yeah. I'd be more curious to kind of check out some of that stuff. So thanks for the hot tip. Okay. But the only scale and rating that really matters is how does this song, this album stack up to life's been good by the mortal Joe Walsh. This is another almost kind of alien situation. Do not compute. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, are these two things music? I don't know. Like, what the hell? (laughs) But although, I mean, Joe Walsh played with the Eagles, which means he played with Don Henley, and Don Henley went on to be kind of the ethereal pop kind of. To have that cheese cheese ball. Yeah. Heartland synth. Mid tempo. Um, radio 80s music, yeah. Don Henley Very might true. be the connective tissue between um, this yeah, album and do, last week's. We should do Boys of Summer scale this week, switch it up. <laughs> you know, that song's all about like longing and you know, youthful nostalgia. I don't want to hear that song, so um, <laughs> we won't do that, but uh, we'll pretend that we listen to that and then just yeah. listen to Life's Been Good. Yeah. But yeah, I agree. I think that that's that's probably the only joke. I don't think I would put it anywhere on the record or listen yeah. to it as opposed to the record. They're just two completely different vibes. Yeah. I mean, being that we're a Santa Maria based podcast, I always think about how these songs would con- how these albums would connect in terms of, you know, um, party situations. So th- like life's been good would be played around 530 at the barbecue. Right. When like, you know. The Modelo's flown probably like an hour away from our next beer run. And then this album goes into like the late night YouTube karaoke, like sing along. So they, they, they belong to a continuum, but where they relate to one another, it's it's, it's really hard yeah. to reconcile. It doesn't that. pass the life's been good scale. Yeah, yes, <laughs> that's true. I would say ultimately. Agreed. All right. Well, let's hear a little bit of life's been good. By one Joseph Walsh. Graveyard girl, you really got me now. Graveyard girl.
a graveyard? What? That's weird, man. <laughs> I know the dude that wrote uh, the Monster Mash, man. <laughs> yeah. Boris Pickett? What was his name? Yeah, R.I.P. Something, something like that. Bobby Boris Pickett. Bobby Boris Pickett. Maybe that's the connective tissue. But um, all right. So, Noah, not skipping ahead, going into the next segment. What is the game you have for us this week? Uh, we'll just do a little pitchfork prices, right? And I'll give you some bands that came out of around this time, around 2008, and kind of have the same vibe as M83. And I'll name a band in the album, and you tell me what pitchfork rated it. Whoever gets the closest wins. Or doesn't go over. I don't know. Whatever. I'm just going to name a bunch of shit and you guys can talk about it. <laughs> All right. Lucy Goosey this week. <laughs> First one. This week. <laughs> ne- Neon Indian. Ooh. Psychic Chasms. Yeah, right. I don't know if I'm allowed to say any of those words. <laughs> you can say chasm. Can I say psychic? Um, can't say chasm because it's pronounced chasm, but um, <laughs> you can say psychic. Psychic's canceled. You can say neon. You, you can say no, neon. Just, you can say Indian. I'm just joking. I think, yeah. yeah um, he's probably indigenous. What did Pitchfork give it? See, this one's I interesting because really I think I liked this album a lot. Me too, you know, but I don't think chasm. I'm gonna say 7.9 because I think yeah, that I Pitchfork think was, liked this record, but it wasn't like a. I could be wrong though. I think they gave it kind of like a pat on the head. You like? I forgot oh, to write down oh, yeah, the year. This is, what this year is, is that? Vibe, it was like but um, uh, oh nine maybe. Okay. Yeah. Around there. Yeah. yeah. Would you say Adrian seven? Seven nine was mine. Seven nine. Um. Yeah, I, I would probably. They may maybe give it like an eight point two. Honestly, they might have liked it. They loved it. They gave it higher than this album than Saturday's Equal. Oh shit. They gave it 8.6. Oh, shit. Wow. She said well-structured and highly addictive songs. Yeah, it was mm. cool. It was kind of like that psyche electronic stuff. Was that Chill Wave? I don't know. I yes. I think it was a little wave. too... He was yeah, definitely was... a Chill Wave, one of the Chill Wave Vanguard. Scion of Chill Wave. <laughs> yeah, so many waves. And, uh... <laughs> right. Fantogram. I remember being a little bit more bugged out, but yeah, Fantogram. Okay. All right, next album. Fanto- Fantogram Eyelids or wait, shit. Fantogram Eyelid Movies. What do you think Pitchfork gave Fantogram hmm. Eyelid I know what movies. they're referencing with that album title and it's very um, very obvious. Eyelid Movies. Yeah, I, this is another one where I think <sighs> I think they uh, hmm. All right, I'm going to say 7.5 cuz I don't think they get it. they did get a good good one here but who knows i was wrong a little over uh two hours ago i totally forgot this band existed um i had a hard time searching for this band because i kept spelling it wrong and i was like <laughs> wait what what the fuck was that band fantagram and then i thought i hallucinated the whole name of the band but <laughs> it's definitely uh, a band that may not exist yeah i think they don't exist it's a collective hallucination um i'm gonna say huh I don't know. Seven. They just gave it a seven. I think uh, that band was trying too hard. Wait, did you guess, Adrian? Yeah. Seven five. Damn, on the money, homie. Seven point five. 
Damn, nice. Pitchfork said moody and surprisingly affecting trip hop. So they were a trip hop fan? Uh, trip hop like a fake kinda. genre. Aren't there only like two trip hop artists? Like yeah. what massive attack and uh, yeah, like massive attack and Portishead and then tricky, <laughs> tricky, yeah. Oh, yeah. tricky. That Ma- Maxine Quay is a great record. Um, I think is an mouse on record. Mars. They're more electronic, more uh, or whatever the fuck that was. Tortoise, Tortoise has some trip hop going on there. Yeah. Definitely. Um, okay, next we got. Yeah, it's been a minute since we mentioned tortoise. I know. Yeah, shit. We I'm off of them. Fixture of this podcast. <laughs> I had to take them out of the rotation. I was listening. Quit smoking weed or something. I was listening to it too much. <laughs> okay, here we go. Wild Nothing. Gemini. What album? What year did that come out? That was, was like, like 2011. 2011. That that album was played a lot in my domicile when it came I'm out. I'm gonna say. I, Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I'm, I was going to say eight. I think it was pretty solid, but not not out, not like completely outstanding. I want to say it was the best new music territory. So I'm going to say they might have gave it like an 8.5. Oh, eh, you're over, Caleb. 8.2. Oh, yeah, 8. I knew 2. I knew it was around there. Did 80s, you guys know 80. that? What? That a mutual friend of all of ours used to live in the same apartment complex as the Wild Nothings guy. Yes, I actually, I can't remember if I actually met him or saw him. The dude, his name's like Jack something, I believe. Yeah. Um, but yes, we one of our in fact, mutual friends. Might, we there. might have shared a wall. He might have been on the other side of the wall when we were watching that um, the Mayweather McGregor. Fight. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And um, I, I would love to hear what that oh, guy thinks of us. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Oh Gosh, boy! Yeah, we should have partied with Wild Nothing. I don't think you could have handled that. Like, hey, crowd. <laughs> like yo, equipment. We um, were uh, definitely on one that night for sure. Yeah, yeah. That, that Saturday definitely equaled youth. Yeah, <laughs> you know you're in trouble when it's like after the baseball game. We're watch another go sporting watch event. Fight. <laughs> yeah. like, that's too much drinking in one day. <laughs> too much drinking in testosterone for one day. Yeah. Yeah. All right. They oh, by the way, pitchfork said of wild nothing. 80s dream pop carves a tunnel from Ibiza's beaches to Manchester's rain-soaked fairgrounds. Okay. It's about hits it on the head. <laughs> All right, last but not least. Team Ghost. That uh Teen Ghost or Team Ghost? Team Ghost. Uh, I was thinking about Teen Ghost, which is a better band in and a better band. Movie. Yeah, Teen Ghost is Oh, it's a TV show, right? It's on TGIF. Was that Teen Angel? That was Teen Angel. Really weird show. (laughs) That show rock. Remember on that they had that block that was Teen Angel and then they had a show they had a show about an angel and a show about a genie in the same TJF block for about a year. Oh right. Then they had touched by an angel. Yeah, that was that, that was CBS. Though. That was CBS. <laughs> she was hot. One of the angels was hot. <laughs> All right. Oh um the Irish. She did the Irish soap commercials too, right? I was gonna say the the, the older black woman. Was yeah, that one. <laughs> but I couldn't remember. Oh, Della her Reese. Name. Della Reese. Della Reese. Yeah. Uh, That's my girl. Okay, Team Ghost. What did Pitchfork give it? See, my initial inkling is to say that you made that up, 
but I know for a fact that you didn't because I was reading the wiki earlier. I was trying to trip you up. I don't know. I don't think they gave it a good review. I'm going to say like it was like a six, eight. Oh, Team Ghost was um, was that with the dude from the Deftones in it? No, no that's, that's sleep. That's Team, team Sleep. sleep right? Similarly yeah, named. Similarly. You know, Deftones kind of they're kind of dream pop. Um, Let's see. Oh, wait, the album title is called You Never Did Anything Wrong to Me. Wow. Who are they talking to? Team Ghost. And that was a real band. Yeah, you real don't band. know anything. Okay, this band, it's the guy that used to be in M83. Yeah, Nicholas whatever. I can't say his last name. It was um, a splinter okay. band. Nicholas uh, from a from a a splinter bund okay that's the germans call a splinter <laughs> bund. okay i don't know it seems kind of anonymous of an album so uh, they probably gave it like a six eight that's what i said so you gotta say something oh sorry uh six nine yeah well, price is right dude <laughs> i had never heard of this fucking band and i don't remember reading this review but it was also it was like 2012 or something they gave it a 7.4 whoa, oh, whoa. And get high this. praise the review says picks up where Dead Cities, Red Seas, and Lost Ghosts left off. Oh, oh shit. Well, now I got to listen to this thing. Team nice. Ghost all the way. Check it out. All right. Thank you for the game as always, Noah. And that brings us to the end of this epic uh, episode. It was very much in scale with the album, though. So, Let's keep it know. going. Yeah. What else <laughs> you got? Whatever. Got another Miley Cyrus singing in Vegas junk. Yeah, now I'm curious. I'm gonna like pour through some like live footage of her, see what other weird fucking covers she does. Oh, Jolene. Oh, right. Well, that's her godmother, so that's not that weird. Yeah. But um, all right. So for next week, make sure you bring a flashlight because night falls over Cortadala (laughs) as we dive into (laughs) 2007s. We I was guys in 2007. Jen's Lickman's forgotten by me at least classic yens yeah oh it's yens how do you I say that so. is it cortadella leckman cortadella i don't know this is a perfect example of somebody <laughs> implanting a memory in my head of an artist like this i had successfully i'm not saying i'm not trying to um you know, uh, jump ahead to the next week's episode about what I think of this person. I'm very neutral at the moment because I haven't literally did not have any memory of this artist and this album until yeah. I looked at the list. What was next? When you so, hear him, good job. That's like realize. things we're trying to. Uh, you know, I know he did a boys to men cover that Zachary was yeah. rolling too. But anyway, oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll save that for next week. He's very ethereal. He came in our lives. You know, he was like a. Yeah. A troubadour floating on the winds. Yeah, very Scandinavian, you know, just like a piece yeah. of Ikea furniture just there when you need it. Yeah, he's we, cute, you know. Yeah. Um, what year was that? 2007. Oh, okay. Yeah, so Falls, baby. Yeah, 2007. Going a year back. All right, well, thank you for joining us for episode 23, the M83 episode, M83 episode. It's been a fun one. Hey, make sure that you are listening to all of our new episodes, dropping Thursdays or Fridays. Um, so check out your feed for that and follow us on Instagram and um, Twitter and all that good stuff. Send us an email, wackerslaps at gmail.com. Thank you to Kiki Pedifor Antiveros for a slapping theme song. Appreciate the tunes. Um, Thank you to Adrian for all your stellar production work. Thank you to Noah for holding it down. 
And uh, yeah, thanks for listening, folks. As always, we leave you with the eternal question that keeps on burning. What made Milwaukee famous? Yeah, hit the music. (laughs) Bye.